Welcome to Women Worth Knowing, the radio program and podcast hosted by Cheryl Broderson and Robin Jones-Gunn. There's so many Christian women with fascinating stories. Some of them are missionaries, some of them are musicians, some are reformers, others are authors. Some are wives, some are single women, some are mothers. But their stories serve as examples to all of us, and they are so inspirational. And this morning is no exception. It's true. Okay, Cheryl, when I say to you this line, what do you think? Dr. Livingston, I presume. Well, I think of Stanley, who discovered yes. him in Africa. Um, and earlier, you kind of poised that to me. So I think of Africa. And then I said, you're not going to do Mary Moffat, are you? And you're like, yes, <laughs> I yes. am. Dr. Livingston had a wife. Yes. And this is how I found out. My husband and I were watching a movie. We watch odd documentaries and things, not do- not odd, but like hidden ones, historical. Yes. And so, of course, the streaming channel recommended, if you like this, you'll like this. So we watched this movie titled Forbidden Territory, and it was about um, Henry Stanley, the newspaper reporter who was paid and funded to go find Dr. Livingston, who had been missing for six years in the deepest, mysterious jungles of Africa. And uh, once he found him, then there were several months where the two of them explored together. In the movie, there's a scene where Dr. Livingston, at the end of his life, is saying to Stanley, I neglected my children, and I did not treat my wife as she deserved. And I went, you had a wife and children? I have to find out who she is. I'd never heard of Mary Moffat. Now, you had. I have. I read a book on her when I lived in England. And um, found her fascinating. But I think, actually, she was part of a um, like a series where, you know how um, there's a book called Martin Luther Had a Wife. Yes. And so I think it was a book kind of like that, an older book. But Mary Moffat, wasn't she the child of missionaries? Yes. Her father, Robert, mm-hmm. and his wife started a mission in South Africa. It was actually in the north part of South Africa, in the Northeast Territory. And it was in a really lovely oasis area. They had 10 children, and Mary was the oldest. Wow. So you can imagine growing up at this very first mission station that was uh, funded and supported by the London Mission Society. Is that what it's called? Or London Mm -hmm. Mission? London Missionary Missionary Society, Society, right? And so when Mary was growing up there, her goal in life was to be useful. Mm-hmm. So she cared for all the other siblings, and she learned to bake bread. and to. But she became a very accomplished linguist, so she could communicate with a lot of the indig- indigenous people in the various tribes. And she just was smart, smart, clever girl and sturdy. So mm-hmm. when she was 18, she and her family, all of them, went to... Uh, Great Britain. They, her father was originally from Scotland, so they went back. And it was like we would know it as a furlough, but this was five years because it took a long time to get there. And it took a long time to get around and raise funds and lecture. And- because in those days they had to sail. And oh, so they would yeah. have to make their way to whatever port yep. in in Africa. And the way was not easy. No. And then they had Ten to— children? Yes. And Come then on. they had to be in that place— and buy their ticket, and they might not be able to get on the first ship right. out. Right, be weeks, months. Right, and then the money. Can you imagine with yeah. all those children? Yeah. 
And yeah. and then finding a place mm-hmm. to stay mm-hmm. in Great Britain. So five years. During that time, Mary um, was able to further her education also. But when her father was in London for meetings, uh, he met this kind of curious young man who was given toward missions. His name was David Livingston. And he was not the typical missionary candidate because Livingston had grown up in poverty in uh, Scotland near Glasgow. He worked in a mill from the time, from between the ages of 10 and 26. He worked in a mill 14-hour days. Wow. His parents, strong believers, his dad was a Sunday school teacher, and they encouraged their children to further their education. So Livingston was quick to pick up science, and he loved chemistry, and he became a doctor, a medical doctor. He also studied Greek some. Languages weren't particularly his thing, apparently, but he was then an ordained minister. So when he's in his late 20s and he meets... Uh, Mary's father, Robert Moffat, uh, uh, Livingston was pretty set on going to China. Mm, I think I'll go to China. Nope. When he found out about Africa, it just called to him, Mm. this deep, mysterious Mm -hmm. heart of Africa, because not far from the mission station that had been established was the unexplored territory mm-hmm. of Africa, a mystery. Right. No one knew. And everyone was actually seeking for the source of the Nile. The Nile. And any other trade routes or mm-hmm. now the area had been um, explored. explored some by two prime groups before that and for maybe a hundred years they had gone in there and but they hadn't charted and it was the Portuguese mm-hmm. who were notorious for slave trade and colonizing and colonizing claiming and, it for you know yep. Portugal yep and also on the other side the Indian Ocean were the Arab slave mm-hmm. traders. Mm-hmm. And so they would go in and capture the indigenous people and and trek them out. But it was unknown to, in general, it was not known what's in there. So mm-hmm. the interior of Africa. There you go, the mm-hmm. interior. So when um, Livingston really got this call, this this heartbeat for Africa, he put all the pieces together. The London Missionary Society accepted him, and he was off to South Africa where he began helping with some of the different mission stations that were trying to be established, and there were a few other missionaries there. And several months after he arrived, the Moffat family mm-hmm. <laughs> well, arrived, their Returned, whole entourage, yes. and uh, they were going to go back to their mission station. And... Uh, Livingston went with them, so 18 days in an ox cart, and that's mm-hmm. where he got to know Mary. Wow. Because you get to know people. Yes, you do, especially in ox carts. That's yes. <laughs> it's, it's the way to. So, but there didn't seem to be any sparks or interest or mm-hmm. anything particular. So Livingston went on for How old there. is Mary at this point? She's 23. Oh, so she's, I mean. Uh, maybe 22 at that point. But that's considered um, old. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. In those days, to yeah. be without a husband, because we're talking about the 1800s. Right. So this is 18... Uh, blah, well, they married... I jump again. They married in 1845. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about yeah, the early married, 1800s. Yes. Mm-hmm. She was 23 and mm-hmm. he was 32. Mm-hmm. 
But what's so interesting is that he went to an area that was notorious for their lions, but he thought it would be, it was considered that it might be a good mission station area. <clears throat> so he went to check it out. It was called um, Mabotsa, M-A-B-O-T-S-A, Mabotsa. And when he was there, my African pronunciation yeah. <laughs> is not very good. You even had to help me with a with a Native American word. <laughs> so, oh, did I? Yeah. Well, <laughs> one of our me on one of our prior episodes. So oh. I'm I'm trusting you. Well, let's try that, Mabotsa. So when he was there, checking it out, is this going to be a good location for us to set up? Um, a lion attacked him. He shot the lion. It did not go down. A, a native that was with him threw a spear, but the lion fell on Livingston, jumped into his upper arm on his left arm shoulder, broke the bones, and then it died on mm. So when you see like the pictures that, that were drawn and made it back to England, it's just this lion that's the size of a hippopotamus that's fallen on him and his arm is hanging out there. Ugh. But he, being a doctor, mm-hmm. he set his own arm yep. and then was transported 40 miles back to the mission station where Mary took the mm-hmm. role of caring for him. And 10 months later, they were married. What's really sweet about it is that when he, after they planned to marry, and then he was going to go back to Mobatsa to get, to prepare a place for her. Mm-hmm. He wrote to her and said, and now, my dearest, farewell. May God bless you. Let your affection be towards him much more than towards me and kept by his mighty power and grace. I hope I shall never give you cause to regret that you have given me a part. Whatever friendship we feel towards each other, let us always look. Got to turn the page here. (laughs) Let us always look to Jesus as our common friend and guide. And may he shield you with his everlasting arms from every evil. I love that. Yeah, it's just There's nothing like Christian romance. I mean, true Christian romance. But it's also so practical. It is. Because for her... Marriage to a man who wanted to stay in Africa was the most natural thing. Of mm-hmm. course, she was. That's what she was raised for. All ten of of the Moffat's children were uh, assumed that they would carry on the mission afterwards. Like she, that was her purpose in mm-hmm. life. So to find someone who came to Africa and wanted to marry her, that's mm-hmm. there could be nothing better. And had the same passion. They had the same passion, and she always expected to live in one place as her parents had. Uh-oh. So <laughs> when Livingston uh, wrote home about her and said he was getting married, and he described her as a plain, common-sense woman, not a romantic, mine is a matter-of-fact lady, a little, thick, black-haired girl, sturdy, and all I want. <laughs> so you, you know, go. that's not quite as romantic <laughs> as his letter to her. <laughs> yes, at least he fluffed it up a little when he wrote Can to you her. imagine? I love you because you're sturdy. Yes, you know? Exactly. <laughs> sort of the things I really love about you. Kind of reminds me of the book of Song of Solomon when he says, your eyes <laughs> are like the pools of Heshbon and your nose is like the Tower of Damascus pointing to the east. You're like, yes. okay, your that was a compliment like in a those days. of goats. Yes. <laughs> or, and the one, my favorite, your your teeth are like shorn sheep, none are missing. Yes. Oh, pairs of sh- shorn sheep, none 
missing. It's a bonus. That's <laughs> all our tape. Yes, the sturdy, the sturdy woman. The sturdy. Matter of fact, yes, a little thick black-haired girl, sturdy and all I want. Mm-hmm. So what he wrote about her later in his journals was much sweeter. He said, I never show my feelings, but I can truly say, my dearest, that I loved you when I married you. Mm. And the longer I lived with you, I loved you the better. Mm. So there's a, there's a depth there of purpose yes. that they shared, and the love came and grew in the midst of that. And, you know, I think, too, you bring up an important point because um, often our relationships are based on physical attraction. And here's one that really seems to be a meeting of passions, mm-hmm. the passion for God, the passion for um Africa, the continent, the people, and that is the shared passions. And then, of course, the um, camaraderie that they shared as she nursed him back to health, the conversations. I can't think of a better way to fall in love or to base a marriage on. Well, and his arm never really quite recovered or healed, so he couldn't lift it above, I guess, shoulder length the rest right. of his life and always... No physical therapy there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he set his own bones, so there we yes. go. <laughs> so there was, like, for her, I can really be of service to him. Mm-hmm. He had prepared a place for them, and what he discovered that he did not expect was that when they traveled the 40 miles from her parents' place back to where they were going to be living and trying to set up this mission station where the lions were still a problem and malaria and disease, and it was just such a difficult place to live. But what he did not expect was that everywhere they went, they knew Mary Moffat because her father had been running the mission for well over 20 years by then. And so they knew that this was the daughter of Robert Moffat. So he was introduced for years as, oh, this is the husband of Mary Moffat. Isn't that funny? And he couldn't get the uh, language down as well as she already had it. So she was essential for him to be able to communicate of what was needed. And he also took on the same approach that Mary and her family all did, and that was to respect every single person exactly the same and to show that honor. And they were known for that, all of them, and that kindness was really different from any of the other Europeans that had come in, uh, the slave traders, all of that. Or even some of the um, missionaries um, had tried to westernize yes. rather than respect. And and that was a problem. And um, I remember reading, you know, David Livingston really did not like that. Mm-hmm. As Hudson Taylor, who would come mm-hmm. and go to China not too long after that, that they both chose to respect the culture, respect the people, and not try to westernize them, but to bring the gospel to them, which is amazing. And how it should be. Exactly. Exactly. So really what started to happen in Livingston was this deep desire to see the end of slave trade. It had ended in England by then, but he believed the way that could happen would be if there were trade routes set up and established that were safe to travel and that the people were able to create goods and services that could be exported. 
That, he felt, was a way to bring that civilization that was needed to that part of Africa and to open the doors to the gospel because there was so much resistance. In his first, I think, seven years of being a missionary and preaching the gospel and being really intent on sharing with the people, he had one convert. Yeah. And that was a chief of a village, and he wanted to be baptized, and Livingston said, you must renounce four of your five wives because polygamy doesn't go over well. Can you imagine trying to send your one missionary letter home? It's been seven years. We have one convert. He does have five wives. He's working on um, <laughs> which of the you know, four yes. he can you know, yeah, so put in kind of a different environment, quarters, right? He, so the chief did renounce uh, four of the wives, and he was baptized, and he began to preach the gospel, and there were so many villages that were reached, so many people. However, one year later, the one of the former wives was pregnant, and everyone knew it was by the chief. <laughs> so it was just, to Libby said, it was such a failure. I couldn't. <laughs> Get him to conform, and yeah, it's a whole other you know. It's interesting. Talk for you know it, it is really interesting about that because when Rachel Saint and Elizabeth Ellie mm. Elliot met the Harani people, whom we call the Akas in Ecuador, mm-hmm. there was a falling out between them because Rachel Saint um, did not like the polygamy, and. Elizabeth Elliot felt like, let's disciple them in Jesus and let the mm. Holy Spirit deal with that. Mm. So there was a huge falling out between these two women. Do you bring morality before right. Christi- you know, before Christianity or before they receive the Lord, or do you let the Holy Spirit bring it after mm-hmm. um, they know Jesus? And I think that's still kind of a, a controversial subject in the church. Nothing to divide over, but yes, I have seen. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really um, fascinating. It was in Hawaii yes. as well. And oh, yes. some episodes on Hawaii. And it was, yes. this is thousands of years of our culture, and this is right. what we understand. And now what? You're saying that right. to be able to love Jesus and follow him, right? this has to change? Right. Yeah. And it's really hard to ask people to change before they know Jesus. You know, to say, you need to change. Yet after they know Jesus— when they choose, because they're leaning into and hearing from the Holy Spirit, and it becomes a choice. That's it. It's, it's so the much Holy better. Spirit's work. It is. Of course, this king maybe kind of fell back a little bit on uh, listening to the Holy yeah, Spirit. <laughs> we don't know. But it, it, when the review is coming up with the uh, London Missionary Society, it's it's not looking too great for Dr. Livingston. He's really not accomplishing everything they thought that he would be doing for them, and. His drive, his desire to see slavery abolished and to bring— there were, there were missionaries at that time called artisan missionaries, and they were going to remote places in order to um, teach skills and to provide what was needed for the people to be able to enter the world market in exports. and So this was a different approach that Livingston really thought would be helpful— But that wasn't the focus of the London Missionary Society. Also, what was happening with David Livingston was just this heartbeat for the deep, mysterious Congo 
area that's now Botswana and Zaire, and he what's what is there? What I, uh, he, he has the explorer in him surfaced, so that it was more than the the medical doctor, more than the ordained minister, evangelical missionary. It was this desire for exploration. So he and Mary had three children, one a year, the first three years of their marriage. And the fourth baby was on its way, and they had to leave where they had been in the Mobatsa area. Um, f- their crops had failed. Mm-hmm. They, the desire was to find further into the interior, uh, maybe at a river's head, uh, a lake, where they could set up a mission station. And so in order to do that, they had to cross the Kalahari Desert. Mm. And Mary went with them mm. with three children mm. and pregnant with her fourth. Mm. 1,500 miles. Mm. And there were days when they had no water, mm. food, uh, the tsetse flies, the, the mm. malaria, and they made it. Mm. When they got to they, they got to the location they were looking for, they returned and when they did, she gave birth to her fourth child, and it died six weeks later. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. There was opportunity then for them to do a second exploration, to move further. And the thought was, why would Mary go? She, she, she went through so much. She chose to go with him again, another trek across the Kalahari, mm-hmm. so that they could see what it was there that kept drawing and drawing. She was so helpful with the languages. So with this time in their lives and having children and deciding that she's going to go back across the Kalahari Desert, her mother writes a letter to Dr. Livingston and says, what in the world are you thinking? Is it not enough that one precious soul has been lost? And that was the point when Truly, for Mary, she had to decide, do I just go live with my parents? That's what I thought my life would be like, staying at one mission station. Or do I understand how God is leading my husband because it's not what I thought it was going to mm-hmm. be? And I've, I've gotten a lot out of just that. There's not a lot written about her. Not a lot of her journals have survived. But just the choices that she made of trusting God, even when it didn't make sense, mm-hmm. and any woman who's been in ministry and seeking to honor God, serve God, working alongside a husband who believes this is how God's leading him. This, this, is, this is real life stuff that still happens today, whether you're in full-time missions or ministry or not. But that was where I saw in Mary this commitment and this firm resolve of we, we do this together. Now, there were Two girls and one one son, and then was it a baby boy that died? I can't remember exactly. Yes. Uh, I'm going to have to look at my notes to see which one. Uh, oh, it was Elizabeth, a little baby girl, girl. that died mm-hmm. after the Kalahari. They had six children all together. Mm-hmm. I, think the first, I think the first child was a girl, if I remember. The first right. was a boy a and boy. was always sickly. Okay, that's yes. it. That's it. I remember that now. So... We have to find out what happens to Mary and her clan. And so that's why we're going to have to do this in two parts. Oh, you cannot shortchange us on Mary Moffat. So I am so glad it's going to be two parts because we're dealing with the churnings of the soul. We're dealing with Mm -hmm. decisions. And, you know, I'm thinking, too, of the issue of second culture kits. 
Yes. That her culture growing up in Africa, but she's English growing up in Africa. Her parents are English. And then going back to England, this is a, a woman, a young woman who doesn't fit in on either continent fully. That's true. And that's what they call second culture. Right. Uh, and to make it's, it even more complicated, her parents were from Scotland. Mm-hmm, so then right. they're trying to be accepted by the London Missionary right. Society. It's not exactly the nope. same. Nope. And then here's Dr. Livingston from Glasgow. So that's a right. whole other part of Scotland. And they probably, you know, that's probably another meeting place that they had. Sure. So I'm getting really excited about part two because Mary Moffat tends to be uh, one of a fascinating character. I think, mm-hmm. you know, as you said before, it's interesting that in history, everyone remembers David Livingston. Right. But at that time and in that place and in Africa, everyone remembered Mary Moffat. He was like m- the husband of Mary Moffat. That's right. So next week, we okay. will, we will back. get back. I love that. I can't wait. for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Robin Jones Gunn. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. For more information on Robin, visit RobinGunn.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. Join us each week for a lively conversation as we explore the lives of well-known and not-so-well-known historical and contemporary Christian women. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at www wk at cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Robin Jones-Gunn. Women Worth Knowing is a production of Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa.